Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. On today's edition, is USC going to fire Clay Helton? And if so, who's next? Urban Meyer's health? And a Harvard man is out there just flipping the bird to a bunch of Yale guys. Plus, a special announcement about our upcoming live show in San Jose. Welcome to the Overreaction Monday edition of the Yahoo Sports College podcast. I am Dan Wetzel, joined by Pete Thamel and Pat Forty. Gentlemen, it was a looked like a really lousy slate of games this last weekend, but it turned out capable of producing a decent amount of drama and definitely enough uncertainty and negativity to serve the interests of vultures like us, which is to squeeze a podcast out of discussing the misery. (laughs) Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. From our families to yours. Uh, Let's start in L.A where UCLA won its third game of the season by defeating 5-6 and six USC Saturday, 34-27. This was a dreadful performance by the Trojans against their arch rival. Breathe some life into an otherwise forgettable debut by Chip Kelly in Westwood. He has accomplished little on the field in his much-ballyhood return. Uh, he won just two games prior to this. And oddly, he has just 11 commits from recruits just 11 none of them five stars or four stars baffling i would have thought he would have taken over the west coast ucla has the 68th best recruiting class per rivals i I, i'm just stunned at that but the bruins have some mojo maybe that'll help in the local recruiting scene and we don't like talking about positive stuff so let's get right to the negative clay helton job security uh, I think L.A. Times columns Bill Plasky said the Trojans need to find someone new. L.A. is not a town where fans are just going to stick it out, show up at games. They do not believe in the coach. This is not Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, USC has to be hot for things to work. And I wonder, I'm going to keep an eye on this, but is this at all doubly important as the NFL is now in L.A.? USC used to be the de facto pro team. Uh, now the Rams are everything, and the Chargers are really good too, although they don't have a whole lot of fans. Anyway, Helton, 32-16 and 16 overall, three and a half or so seasons, 24-10 and 10 in the Pac-12, which is not particularly strong these days. 
He may miss a bowl game and risk a complete trucking on national TV by Notre Dame this week. That might finish him. Uh, I don't think he's a terrible coach. I don't think he's good enough to be USC's coach. Uh, oddly, Lynn Swan, the AD, gave him one of these ridiculous coaching extensions earlier in the year when the possibility of firing him was uh, very apparent. They always do this saying that it's need for stability to help recruiting, which suggests recruits are stupid. <laughs> that contract extension could cost USC $15 million at least. Uh, and in exchange, the Trojans currently have the 31st best recruiting class. Zero five stars, just six four stars. Terrible by their standards. So that didn't work either. So, Pat, let's start with you. Is Helton gone? Could he save himself with a victory over Notre Dame? And who replaces him? Let's throw it all out on the table. Everything on the table. Um, I I think at this point, as expensive as it is, you can, you can't afford not to fire him. Because, as you said, the fans are going to get off the bandwagon. They probably already have. Uh, yeah, the NFL influence in town, I think, is real. Because I think there's there's a finite amount of football interest there. And if you put two NFL teams in, one of whom, well, both of whom are actually playing very well this year, uh, and UCLA and USC, uh, interest is not going to be, you know, it's going to be divided up significantly. So I don't think USC can afford to sit around underachieving year after year after year and uh, and think that the fan base is, is going to hang in there. And Helton, yeah, look, his record with Sam Darnold is very good. His record without Sam Darnold is very bad, and they have all the look of a poorly coached team. They're minus nine turnover margin for the year. They've been in the negatives and turnovers three straight games. Uh, you know, they, they have a lot of penalties. They have a lot of mistakes. They, they just don't look like a well-coached team. They don't win close games. Uh, they, they need to make a change, at whatever it costs. Uh, it's, a, it's a school that has a gazillion dollars worth of donors, so they should be able to figure it out. And where do they go? Well, Pete Thamel raised an interesting question on Saturday about maybe James Franklin. I think if you could get a James Franklin from Penn State, that would be the kind of hire that I think sure surely would play well in the very rich recruiting area uh, would give him a chance there. And, uh, you know, I think he's a pretty good coach. I think he's a better recruiter than coach, but he's a good enough coach that you could win the Pac-12 with James Franklin recruiting SoCal talent. I absolutely believe that. Pete, what do you think? You wrote the uh, 10 takeaways column late Saturday night, which uh, should be required reading no matter whether you or Pat write it. And uh, what do you think of this? Well, I I was of the mind the last month that they were going to give him one more year and try to figure it out. But I think you're reaching the point. I used the word untenable in, in that column last night, Dan. And I, I think you're reaching the point where like, okay, you're going to fire T. Martin. You've already taken the play calls away from him. Well, what great offensive coordinator is going to come in there and call plays and stabilize things on offense. Clay Helton calling plays clearly isn't getting it done. JT Daniels now, who you'd think is a three-and-done, the five-star Gatorade player of the year in the country, really has almost regressed. Like, he he looked okay in the first half yesterday. He was bad in the second half. He threw a horrific interception that turned the game. So you have the prodigy quarterback there, you know, the guy who's supposed to replace Darnold and, and, and be that guy, and, and he 
is is clearly you know fighting through turmoil for the first time in his career. So and then again defensively they've they've been pretty uh, they've been pretty pedestrian. We have an appearance from Pat's cat again, by the way. I just want to point that out. Always always enjoy the uh, the, the feline cameo. Um, the uh, when you uh, when you when you look at their defense, maybe Cl- Cl- Clancy Pendergast goes too. So. You're at the point where if you're going to bring in coordinators, you're going to have to guarantee them multi-year deals for millions of dollars. And the thought is, if they don't get much better, you're going to you, you know you're just you're just pushing that huge payment down the line. Uh, I've been writing north of 15 million as that buyout. It would not surprise me if it's 20. And uh, look, like Lynn Swan in basically the only major movies been at USC you know, titanically screwed this up. There's no other way to say it. I mean, he gave a coach who probably should have been extended. He had two very good years and and should have been given a raise. He wasn't making much more money. But then he just got pushed out to the nines on it. And obviously, a lot of that money is going to be guaranteed. He's, it's through 2023. And so he's really leveraged USC to an awful, awful financial situation. And Steve Lopes is a, is a guy behind the scenes there who was there through all the Carroll glory years and everything. I mean, there's a lot of administrators at USC that have aided and embedded this run of ineptitude when you go through Kiffin, Orgeron, Sark, and now Clay Helton. I mean, and in, in obviously there is an interim president there right now because the other one got uh, fired in a scandal uh, on the university side, uh, an awful sort of almost Larry Nasserish type situation uh, that wasn't in athletics. Uh, USC is a mess and, and they need the right hire and they have not shown they are capable of making a good hire since Pete Carroll, who was like their eighth choice that they basically got on accident. So it, it, it's fascinating theater. I think, uh, other than obviously the health of Urban Meyer, this is the biggest story that that you know to to play out over the next uh, you know until New Year in college football. Uh, I will point out real quick that um, USC is like the most expensive school to go to in America. It's seventy five thousand dollars a year. So maybe they can uh, shave a little bit off of the tuition gouging to uh, to buy out Clay Helton. That would be my first suggestion. <laughs> We would probably have to raise the tuition, right? So we could pay out Clay Helton. <laughs> yeah, pay raise it to seventy six, whatever, seventy seven. Two thoughts. Uh, I mean, one is these these contracts are just insane. These ads get played like a fiddle. Where was Clay Helton going? <laughs> no, Middle Tennessee was all over him. <laughs> Where that, was, that was he going to leave? Yeah. Nobody leaves the USC job. Espe- I mean, it's, you don't leave it. So. You can underpay because the job is so good. And obviously you don't have to. But when you have the right guy, if you have Pete Carroll, but they don't leave it. They leave it to go to the NFL. All right. But the NFL isn't calling for Clay Helton. They These deals are so bad. The second thing is, it's, this is proof that any, I don't care how good the job is. If you don't have a good coach, you lose. It just doesn't matter. I mean, you're sitting on the mother load of talent. And you have an inherent advantage over everybody. You can just drive around your car and sign 18 really good players. And then you you work on the other six by just flying them in in the middle of February and saying, hey, how about here? So it, it's all there. I, I don't – I mean, it's it's a great, great job. But here we are. Um, Franklin would be fascinating. You know, would he leave? I mean, what do you, do you think he's – Penn State's a great job too, but – there's certainly a, a an easier path. The competition is easier if you're USC, where you are undoubtedly the number one program on the West Coast, opposed to Penn State, where 
you're at least got two equals in your in your division, uh, let alone in your whole conference. Important on Franklin, Dan, to get him the buyout is only one million dollars, which is which is pretty stunning, to be honest. I was expecting it to be somewhere, you know, at least five. Right. I mean, this is J- this is James Franklin. And how did it happen that it's only a million? Um. I, the thought was, I, I don't know, to be to be honest. I just looked all this up last night, and I was surprised at that number. It's probably really good agenting. Um, you know, Franklin has had some kick-the-tire interest from the NFL in the past, and, and his name is a name that's come up in a in a search or two at that, uh, at that level. Um, I would think Franklin, especially because Penn State has just looked pretty mediocre. Um, you know, I, would they beat Rutgers 20, 21-7 on, uh, on Saturday? Um 20 to 7, yep. 20 to 7. Basically since they uh since they blew that fourth down call against Ohio State in a game they should have won. And really those two programs are pretty equal right now, let's be honest, right? Um shoot, Penn State's biggest win was blown out Pitt 51 to 6. Who would have thought that, right? Um but I I really think that uh I really think Franklin could go there and deliver a jolt of energy. I will defend one of Dan's points earlier about UCLA's recruiting. Uh, I know that operation pretty well. They've been judicious on purpose, and actually, they look smart because if you can go get the five best guys who USC was going to get now, and they're just not going to offer a million kids and you know cast a big net and bring them in. They're, they're, they just don't. Chip Kelly's not going to do it that way. It's the Chris Peterson model that's worked well at Washington. They're going to get to know them, and they're going to recruit them, and they're going to get to know them as people, and they're going to be around them. And that's how that's how they were going to do it. They've been intentional and deliberate. They've said they're going to do that, and they've and they and they've backed it up. Uh, I mean, look, Chip Kelly won with uh, Darren Thomas and Lamichael James. These weren't like five star, otherworldly type guys. You know, he he's been known to uh, yeah, he's been known to sort of find guys to fit his system. They have a quarterback commitment from. Uh, from, from Texas who barely had any other high major offers. And uh, he's like a 5'10 kid who's like hyper productive and versatile and like off the charts in terms of uh, character, personality, leadership, that kind of stuff. So Chip isn't going to, you know, no offense to our friends at Rivals, but Chip isn't going to recruit off lists. He's going he's gonna to do it his way. And uh, somehow he's 3-8 and eight and has a ton of momentum. Go figure. Fair enough on that, but they got to close really good because – is what it is. They got 11 guys. So if they close, good for him. I still believe Chip Kelly's going to win at UCLA because why would anything suggest? It's just it feels like at this moment you'd be, you know, five and six, not three and eight or, you know, a little bit better. But uh, I don't doubt Chip Kelly. Go ahead, Pat. Uh, just Would James Franklin take USC if USC wanted him? I don't, I don't know. I, I The thing, I, I think you have an easier path to win at USC than you do at Penn State because – Ohio State, Michigan are right there, and you've got to recruit against them. You got to play against them. And USC is the top dog on the West and has been for a long, long time. And that it's really the only major conference that has one school that has traditionally been the best thing. You know, the other schools, you know, Clemson's dominating the ACC, but Florida State can get that thing. Like, who cranks it up that equals USC? Oregon did it for a little bit when they had Chip Kelly. Maybe UCLA can get there. You know, the other teams are all like, eh, you know, we have our moments, but it's not it's not the same. All right. That's good, good talk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. How about that? There we go. Good. We're good. All right. Do you argue let's get some more, that let's get Los more Angeles negativity. has more talent than Pennsylvania? 
considering. Yeah, I would think so, too. I would think so, too. And maybe 20 years ago, that might not have been the case, but I think it is now. Yeah. And and the recruiting life is great because you literally just you you don't have you're not flying all over the world. Mm -mm. Like you're driving around Southern. That'll take forever in the traffic. But, you know, you're 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 right there. It's all right there. All right. Enduring image of the day on Saturday was one we have seen before. Urban Meyer bent over on the sideline. Urban Meyer with his hands on his knees. Urban Meyer rubbing his head. Uh, all during Ohio State's 52-51 overtime victory to Maryland over Maryland, which was much more uh, intense of a game than anyone expected. Uh, we were early on this, uh, and it's not because any of us are doctors. <laughs> uh, it's just been crazy to watch. And uh, look, Urban, you talked to Pete earlier this year about his health issues. And, um, you know, I know – the health issues are kind of like a joke on social media because that's why he left Florida and then he returns. So you never really know what's going on with Urban Meyer. He's not easy to trust his word, says everything's fine. It just doesn't look it. I just like going into this Michigan game. I mean, uh, is he going to make it through it? You know, like he's going to look this way. Like it'd be more surprising if he wasn't hunched over during the Michigan game than if he, than if he than when he is, if he is. So Buckeyes are ten and one. They can still win the Big Ten. They're good. Um, but they're they're not good as ten and one teams go. Michigan's better. This just seems like uh, an amazing I don't know, just a moment that's just all gonna come together Saturday. Where, you know, here comes Harbaugh and can Ohio State hold him off and what is up with Urban Meyer? Pete, what do you think? Well, certainly it's going to be a captivating week. Uh, there's the, the stakes are high. Um, you know, something has to give on the field, right? I, I believe it's six in a row for the Buckeyes and 13 of the last 14 in that rivalry, which hasn't been much of a rivalry on the field. But it's obviously always one of the best games of the season, one of the most hotly contested games of the season. Um and Michigan, quite frankly, is just playing much better. Even though Michigan didn't look great against Indiana on Saturday, Michigan's just playing much better right now than Ohio State. There's no way to put it. The, the defense has been a sieve. Um, the offense, though they ran the ball a bit better on Saturday, is still pretty one-dimensional. And it, you know, Ohio State has looked sporadically motivated. Really, you know, like they're that they, they doesn't look like they have a lot of dogs on defense who who you know are going to stand up and make a stop and and, and that kind of thing. So. Um, but Ohio State also isn't untalented completely. Although defensively, I do think there's been there's been a drop, and you've seen that at some at some positions, linebacker and a little bit at safety. Uh, and then Urban's health, like it it's it's a fascinating question. It's a huge looming question. You know, I think it's telling they haven't gotten a recruit really. I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but like it's not like you know usually this time of year they're kind of rolling in every other week or something like that, and that's been pretty quiet. I think people are waiting to see what Urban's going to do. And I think a lot of this week and the result of this week, and if they win or if they don't, um, is just nudging towards a natural time for Urban Meyer to make some kind of uh, declaration or decision about his future coaching. Yeah, I mean, look, if this is going to be who he is and they can't do anything to alleviate this situation, he's got to step down after this season, I think. I mean, there's just he's putting himself through agony. Whether it's purely physical, whether it's physical and mental, I, you know, I don't know. I, none of us do. But uh, you can't really, I don't think, do your job the way he's looking while he's doing it 
Uh, so I, you know, I think it's a very legitimate possibility that there's going to have to be, a, there's going to have to be a change of some kind, you know, either a medical change or he steps away or something because you can't keep coaching like this. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether there, you know, whether how much is the, the brain cyst and how much is maybe just the stress is eating him alive or what, but I mean, goodness gracious, the stress in the pursuit of perfection really did him in it at Florida. It did. And I know people do kind of, you know, like they won like 23 something games in a row or something and then lost to Alabama in the SEC championship game, like a one, two game. And then he had the heart. He had to go to the hospital with some kind of heart ailment in this big secretive thing and all this stuff like, you know, hey, you lost. But yeah, <laughs> OK, you're a number two team in the country. Um, you know, I always go back to that. That remember when he retired, Pete, you did the story in the Times and he talked to you. He retired, said he was stepping down and he talked about how like he had a conversation with his daughter about it. And his daughter is like one of his daughters. You, you know it better, but it said like I, we haven't had an actual discussion. You haven't really talked to me in two years. And I remember just as a father just being like that might be like the most crushing thing. Something someone could ever say to you, like your daughter just being like, I don't even know you. And then, like, he retired. He gave this huge emotive interview with you. And then, like, the next day he showed up at practice and then it was like, ah, I'll stick around another year. You know, like, I can't. Right? Like, what was that? What what year was that, Pete? Boy. Uh, this is a year before he officially retired. Yeah. He ended up doing a whole nother year. What was yeah. that conversation like? It was, it was like? Christmas night. Um, and I want to say the year was. 2009. So they, yeah, because they won it in 06 and 08, right? And then it was nine and then he came back and they weren't very good. And then he stepped away. And, you know, part of the reason why once once he came back was that he all of a sudden realized all these people's lives are on the hook for him. You know, like they brought in nutritionists and secretaries and assistant coaches and, and all that. And all of a sudden he saw, you know, they were going to bring in whoever to coach and all that all would have would have crumbled away, uh, would have crumbled away quickly. So, um, look, he you know. How much of this is self-inflicted, stress-inflicted, medical? It's obviously a mix of both of some kind. The guy's assist in his brain. He's had surgery for it. Uh, he clearly has some kind of, like, glaring problem with his head, right? Like, I mean, anyone any watches that, like, he's just doing He's doing this, he's doing this, he's constantly sort of almost like searching for equilibrium, if that, if that makes sense. And I remember the Michigan game two years ago when they miraculously came back and won a double overtime. When Curtis Samuel ran in the end zone, he just collapsed yeah. and face, uh, face down. Yeah, like fell uh, and fell over. And moderation has never been an Urban Meyer staple. It's just never it's never been that way. It's been all or nothing. He's done a better job since getting to Ohio State in terms of balancing family and spending time. And, uh, you know, spending time. his son is now a freshman at Cincinnati, plays in the baseball team. Uh, he's gone down and seen him. They've they've. They, they, Shelly has basically demanded he cut out things for that. But when he is in the season and in these things, he is just at, that he has that built up stress and built up pressure, built up, you know, I, I don't know the, the right word to describe it, but essentially it exasperates his already existing medical problems. And he ends up looking like he has on the sideline, you know, multiple times this season. He obviously dropped to a knee against Indiana in that game. Um, which eventually led to him coming out and talking about, you know, detailing some of the some of the medical issues. But I just don't think there's a cure for this. Like, I don't think there's a pill or, you know, like, a, 
you know, I, just, I have a cold, so I just did, you know, I just did like a neti pot. There, I don't think there's any, <laughs> there's any quick fix for, for what is, uh, what, what, what Urban's dealing with uh, right now. But I mean, I don't know. I was watching like it was, it was a funny scene. So the Yankee Stadium press box for baseball is where all the writers sit, and as that game was, you know, obviously in doubt in the second half. All the national media at that game is watching Ohio State in Maryland, and it was obviously a very tense back and forth game. Pat was watching it in Columbus at the swim meet. He was telling me earlier, and uh, I mean, we're all viscerally reacting because because ESPN kept showing Urban on the sidelines, and everyone's just like, "Ugh," you know, like you just you you had to have some empathy for him because he was just clearly. I don't I don't think I've ever seen a coach look like that, you know, in a game on a sideline for that extended period of time. There was the the very the, the very point of timeout where like the team is gathered and the, you know, offensive coaches are talking and he's in the background, you know, 10 yards behind them, just like with his hands on his knees, staring at the ground, like clearly just trying to like gather the strength to kind of keep going on. Yeah, this is, this is bad. I pulled up your old story. It was Christmas night. So this is December 26, 2009 in the, in the uh, New York times. And this, this line, I'm just going to reread this line. He said that his 16 year old daughter told him she had, not felt as if she had talked to him in the past two years. That was the line that got it sticks with me ten, you know, almost ten years later, like nine years later. Like, oh my goodness, like that's you just, yeah. I mean, that's just painful. So, I mean, included in this is like he found himself emailing recruits in church. Um, I probably checked my phone a couple times uh, in that one, maybe. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, you got to check your fantasy lineup and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> What's Sunday morning for? Um, God, please give me the clarity to find the right running back. <laughs> how about this? In a in a 10 day period around the SEC title game, Meyer said he lost 20 pounds. What diet is this? I need to coach an SEC title. He game. looked awful. I, I remember that. I uh, yeah, I remember that very well. And I remember Pete's story and it was a huge, you know, huge breaking news thing. But then I remember going to the Sugar Bowl the next day after he had miraculously decided, no, I'm back. And that was, I, I, quite frankly, I thought that was a bit obnoxious. Uh, I'm sitting there in the press conference, his whole family's sitting there, and it's like, seriously? Yeah, you know, yesterday you can't go on, and now today, oh, I'm back! Uh, that that rubbed me a bit the wrong yeah. way. No, no, because it's like, okay, here are these here are these moments that you're just like, would crush a person, right? Like the realization you lose 20 pounds in 10 days. Like this is unhealthy. Uh, the realization your daughter's like, who the hell are you? Right? Like crushing. This is life altering. And you're like, you pour your heart out to the New York freaking times. And then the next day you're like, yeah, I see Tebow run that option, man. I just got to <laughs> stick it out, man. It's I'm back. Not stay. I'm back. <laughs> so I don't know. This is going to be a big week in the life of Urban Meyer. And uh, the idea like what can like, also, I'm sure, look, Michigan should win this game. They're just better. But then can you walk away if you're Urban Meyer and like, okay, once Harbaugh beats me, I quit? Like, that is going to weigh in his head. Like, you know, like, well, crap, you can't – you got to come back for the – you know, like, but it's just – this thing's just – it is it is a weird situation. And number one thing is he's got to stay healthy. So hopefully he realizes. And I, th I think that year off really helped him. I remember talking to him after that – that sabbatical. I mean, he had this note, like a contract in pink or something. He signed with his, he had this letter hanging on his wall of his office in Columbus and signed it with his daughters. And he was going to always answer the phone and all this stuff. So hopefully he does. All right. Obviously wish him well. It's, there's always a little flare of drama with urban. Yeah. You know? Like yeah, I, exactly. I, I don't think, yeah, 
I just I have no idea how this is going to play out. Uh, I certainly wish him the the best of health, but you know the last I guess what year did you say that was? Oh eight? Like you know there's oh nine oh nine? Yeah, there's been about a decade now, and uh, there is uh, yeah, it will be very interesting to see how uh, how this plays out in the next week, month, year, etc. All right, UCF had a big weekend. They got game day broadcasting from campus on Saturday morning. It's a great scene. ABC did a primetime showing. The Knights looked good. They beat Houston. Uh, not Houston, Cincinnati, I'm sorry. 38-13. I, you know, I, well, I, I know everything with UCF is like the prism of the playoff. Can they get in? Can they get out? But it's almost like a moment that, that earns, should should stand on its own. Like, for this school, this is amazing. You know, and the growth of UCF, it's one of the biggest schools in the country now. It's sitting in a huge market. It's got unbelievable potential in football and in everything else. And, like, this was a showcase night that says, you know what, this place is pretty big. And, look, college football is the country club sport. We say it all the time. Who's your daddy? Did you do it back in 1938? If you didn't, you can't be any good now. But like, and, and the system's designed to protect those programs and prop those programs up. But like demographically, you would rather be UCF in the next four decades than Nebraska or a heck of a lot of other places. And what I want to ask is, as those barriers crumble a little bit, if they crumble a little bit on the sport, how good could UCF get like two decades down the like down the line where they're like, you know, this thing churns up and it's like, yeah, there are four big time football programs in, in Florida, not just three, because there is no reason UCF can't be really, really good. Uh, I'll start with you on that, uh, Pat. Sure. No, I, I mean, the question is, will the barriers crumble? Can they get access to the amount of money, you know, the media revenue? Uh, and then can they get access to the playoff? I mean, those are the, those are the two questions. The, those are the inhibitors to how big a program can get. So if they can do that, sure. Because as you said, I mean, they're sitting on phenomenal fertile ground. They do have the, they're going to have a massive alumni base going forward and alums are the ones that give the money and build the facilities. Uh, there's no, you know, concrete reason why if they, you know, can get access to a playoff if they can get <coughs> excuse me access to greater revenue that that they can't do everything else i mean we've seen look you can have a little blip like they're they're having now uh with mackenzie milton who's you know just ridiculous his record here uh or like boise did with uh kellen kellen moore yep you know when i mean boise's been good for a long time but they had a, a two or three year run where they could actually compete theoretically for the national championship and UCF is in that same theoretical moment now but can they sustain it well they're certainly they're sitting on the recruiting ground to do it I think if they can just you're going to have to sell recruits you're going to have to sell other coaches when it's time to change coaches on that being an elite uh place to coach so I yeah could it happen but there's still a couple stumbling blocks that need to be removed let me just say real quick before I get to Pete like yeah Boise has done it for a long time but it's Boise Idaho this is central Florida, right? Like you're sitting there, you know, this isn't a TCU's been really good. They're sitting on a big talent boot. That's a private school. This is a big, huge public school 
right there. And and it's like it's just weird that this sport, which I think is a very like, like th- th- most of the fans. I mean, there are always a lot of college graduates who are fans, but a lot of people aren't college graduates, and just it's a blue collar kind of sport in a lot of ways. Yet it's always like, yeah, we don't believe in equal competition. We're not <laughs> like we don't. It's like, no, no, no. I know they could be good, but we're going to protect our, our, you know, it's just like, what? I don't get it. Go ahead, Pete. What do you think of this whole thing? Yeah, well, uh, what a great night for uh, UCF. What a great showcase. The the bounce house looked like a heck of a lot of fun, you know, for, from TV and on afar. I thought it looked good and showed well on uh, on on game day. And, and, and I think that will be, you know, one of their steps to being embraced by the establishment. Um when, when you look at UCF, the number I keep going back to is right now they have 56,972 undergraduate students, and their overall enrollment is 66,183, which is insane, right? Like, I mean, that is just a gargantuan amount of students. Many of those live on campus. I was there last December for a story on uh, on Josh Heupel and, and their recruiting class, and you can literally see it. Um, you know, Dan, you made, in, in, as you know, I carefully read all the emails and texts in preparing for the podcast and, uh, eh. you made a, uh, you made an interesting point. You started the text this week. Yeah, no, I, I did. Yeah. I was, I, I thought Pete did. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh man. I've been libeled again. Slander. <laughs> Pete was involved at least. I was pretty impressed. Well, you said, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. You said, you know, would you bet on Nebraska in the long term, or would you bet on UCF? And it, I mean, it's a no brainer for UCF. They have the talent. It's in a hip city that's that's growing and flourishing. Like obviously Nebraska has tradition and they have a loyal fan base, but loyal fan bases are grown through 23 game winning streaks and iconic players like Mackenzie Milton. And they're fun. My God, are they fun to watch? They play an awesome style. They have an identity. You know exactly what you're going to get. So I'm uh, I'm I'm all in on, uh, on on UCF in the long term, and you know access is going to have to come through another round of realignment, and another round of realignment is only going to come through more media deal money being available, and you know the Big Twelve is, would still sit there as the you know as the obvious one, but at a certain point, if you're the if you're the ACC, don't you sit there and say, you know what, in our footprint, we obviously have a, have a team in Southern Florida, and we have a team in the Panhandle. Would would it be would it be be dumb to not secure you know that media market and that talent pool in you know in that corridor right there yeah and there's a lot of alums and as they get older they can donate that's the thing right it's a young school and so they don't usc's got those like 75 year old dudes in orange county they're they're out on their yacht saying yeah we'll buy them out right (laughs) call me you know boom from the marina those guys (laughs) ucf doesn't have that yet but as they get older they get there. So right. it's always, I, um, you know, the, so it, it's there. It's, it's in there. All right. A couple quick ones uh, to get to. I'll start with you, Pat. Why does major Apple white care so much about coats? <laughs> this is you the know. most fashion story we've had. <laughs> Surprising. Yes. We're also fashionable, you know? Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Now the, he the really puff- cares about what kind of coat you're wearing. He does. If you're wearing a puffy coat, you better be active. You better be uh, able to help major Applewhite win a game. If not, then take off the puffy coat, young man. That's yes. The Ed Oliver, uh, take off the coat. Those are just for active players moment on the sideline ranks among the weirder ones uh, for the season. For sure. <laughs> 
It's building culture, Pat. Yeah, building culture. About, just, I, I, you're cold. Dude's cold. They don't have this rule in Minnesota, man. <laughs> like, no, you just, not. whatever coat you got, wear it, buddy. <laughs> this is, uh, and it's this classic college coach, you know, micromanager controller uh, 101, you know, and it's, I, I think really if, if Applewhite handles this a little better now halftime goes to talk to Ed, you know, privately and says, Hey, uh, you know, here's the deal with the coat. We, you know, we would like you to take <laughs> off the coat as opposed to trying to physically take it off him during the game, like an idiot, then this whole thing might've been diffused. I, you know, I'm not saying Ed Oliver handled it with uh consummate grace. What this kind of hits to me at guys is that there's some underlying tension between Applewhite and Oliver and whether it's because he didn't play and maybe Applewhite thinks he could have played or should have played or what. But this tells me that uh, this is a kind of thing where this is a guy who's probably thinking more about his NFL future than some other things like, you know, where the team stands and, you know, Applewhite's like, uh, you know, getting mad at that or whatever the case is. But this is not ending well for these two guys. Ed Oliver was going to be a top five pick in – the spring, but he's not there yet. And where is he? Is he checked out or is major Applewhite think he's checked out when he hasn't? I don't know, but, uh, you know, let's, it may, is, let's hope maybe Tillman Fertitta, their, their loudmouth booster billionaire down there will buy everyone a coat so they can all wear a coat on the sideline <laughs> if they want to. Um, you know, I think this story is more complicated than it was let on. It's obviously obviously a terrible look for Major Applewhite, first of all. At the very least, have your strength coach tell the dude to take it off. Like, there's no need during the middle of a game to have a confrontation with an iconic player in your program. You know, a guy who you're probably going to retire his number. You're probably going to want back. You, you know, like, he's from Houston. He's Houston all the way. He, you know, he was really the building block of that whole Tom Herman era, the, the recruit that gave them the buzz and made Houston cool. So, like, Ed Oliver you know, means a lot to Houston and obviously means a lot to Major Applewhite. Uh, that said, like, Houston has done a lot for, for for Ed Oliver. They hired his high school defensive line coach. Now, how many, how many programs have done that? And he has been coddled to an extent where I think now they're starting to regret how much they coddled him. And I think this was a byproduct of that. I know NFL scouts have taken a lot of notice of that, and they are not blaming Applewhite as much as they are blaming uh, Ed. And uh, I think they're I think they're both in the wrong here, and I think it's a horrible look for both of them. And you know, Major obviously took a huge publicity hit for this because it's a very easy argument to crush Major. But I think Ed just trying to be nonconformist, and again, there's there's dumb college rules around gear and. He already declared for the NFL draft before his season started. If you really don't want to play and you don't want to follow dumb team rules, you know, go work out at Gold's Gym for a year and go to the draft. So I, I think both are at fault. It's a bad look for both, and they're both going to suffer consequences from it. Yeah, they, they coddled Ed until they lost enough games that they were out of the uh, out of the playoff hunt and, you know, may or may not even be able to win their division, and nobody's talking about him. So now it's time to get mad at Ed. But, hey, if you're still winning, then we'll keep coddling. That's what I see from this. Yeah, I coddle to the end. I, if I'm Major Applewhite, I want to be sitting at his draft table. Yeah. I want him to come back when he signs some mega deal in five years and get a $3 million donation to build a new weight room. I want Ed Oliver. You know, like you said, you coddle him. All right, fine. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. That's the that's really the thing you can offer a five-star recruit. You know, Alabama can offer day-in, day-out competition, and we're not going to take crap from any of you, right? And they all flock to that. 
you're a Houston, you can sit there and say, you come here and run the show. I mean, it's kind of the deal. So they went with it. Now it's kind of a, an odd time. But anyway, no one's taking my coat. Someone tries to take my <laughs> coat off me. I'm not going to be happy about it. And I'm not Ed Oliver. I mean, Ed Oliver's snappy in half. I can't do a whole lot. <laughs> what would your reaction be, Dan, if somebody I'd, came I'd and tried to take I'd write a strongly worded letter. Strongly worded letter. No, you got to fight, man. It's a coat. Coat's a coat. You need your coats. All right. Les Miles. Oh, we missed you, Les. Going to come back just in time for season two of the podcast, and we will be all over. There will be extensive coverage of the Kansas Jayhawks next year if this goes down. Pierce close to taking that job. Um, He will undoubtedly provide entertainment value for all of college football, having his uh, bizarre stories, weird thinking, and malapropisms uh, back in the fold. Uh, other than that, though, do you think this works? Okay, now I understand it's Kansas and that beggars cannot be choosers, but I kind of see a 65-year-old guy who thrived on incredible talent that surrounded LSU. That isn't going to be happening in Lawrence. Uh, I give him on this he won a lot of games in a lot of different ways with a lot of varying offenses, which is you do need to do if you're not at a program. You just sit there and plug and play. So I do like that. And he did win at Oklahoma State uh, dramatically. So, um, Pete, thumbs up, thumbs down on Les Miles in Kansas. Thumbs up to the theater. Can't wait for it. Uh, Kansas football is interesting. That hasn't happened since Mark Mangino was – regaling us of tales of working on a, uh, a tollway in Pennsylvania as he was bringing Kansas into the national elite. It has just been a decade of obsolete death there at Kansas, and uh, I am happy to have the Mad Hatter back. Um, I thought the best sign, Dan, from his hire was his extremely low salary. He is making $800,000 less than the lowest paid coach in the Big 12. And to me, that was a signal that they're really going to invest in staff. Because if Les Miles is going to make this work, he's got to have a staff. It can't be like typical Kansas where if you happen to get a good receivers coach or a good running back coach or whatever, O-line coach who who shows some promise, he's just going to run off and go to Texas or Oklahoma or whatever. You need to have a high-paid competent staff. Obviously, Les Miles' limitations on offense were well-documented through the conga line of dreadful quarterbacks he trotted out at LSU and unimaginative offenses. So you need someone innovative there who's locked in for a while. You can't be churning through OCs there. You need continuity. You need an identity. And then, obviously, you have to bring in a good DC and a good strength coach. He had a uh, an excellent strength coach at LSU who obviously was working with freakazoid athletes who were number one picks. But you need someone to develop and someone to coach him up. Les Miles is a interestingly low paid CEO. And uh, I look forward to the experiment playing out. And my apologies. I thought he was still, I didn't know he got hired officially. I am oh, yeah. still as pegged as possible. Nope, nope. I was watching the NFL and he got hired and it didn't quite make the ticker. So sorry about that. <laughs> uh, Pat, what do you think? Yeah. I, I mean, I agree largely with what you guys are saying. Uh, there, there's, um, there's a lot of te- to be determined on this one. Uh, the the good news for Les is he's he's going from a place where the expectation is beat Alabama to a place where the expectation is beat anybody. You know they they they're terrible. They've been terrible. Even the Mark Mangino era was they won two more games than they lost. It was a blip. 
Uh, and so you're going to go in there, and Les was never, or maybe only when they played Alabama, was he at a talent disadvantage at LSU. Uh, he will almost always be at a rare, at a talent disadvantage at Kansas. So is he really going to outcoach people? I don't know. As Pete said, staff, vital. Recruiters, vital. Uh, play callers, vital. Uh, or is this, you know, is, is it going to work or is it going to be like when they hired Charlie Weiss, who Charlie had been fired for two years by Notre Dame, bumped around for a while back, a while got the job there and was a disaster. Uh, is less going to be a disaster. Fired two years ago by a Cadillac place and now sat out and now here he comes. Uh, I, I have my doubts about whether this is going to work. But again, is the, you know, what's the expectation? Is it six and six? Eh, maybe less can do six and six. If you're asking for more than that at Kansas, I don't know whether anybody can do that. All right. Also, Colorado fired Mike McIntyre um, this weekend. Who gets that job? What do you know, Pete? Well, we had a uh, handy dandy list on uh, old Yahoo Sports for uh, for folks who are really want to dial in on who's going to get the Colorado job. Um, Rick George, the Colorado AD has always had an affinity for showmen. Uh, he wants a, a coach who's going to, you know, Mike McIntyre, you know, was a decent coach there. Obviously, he's, you know, national coach of the year two years ago. I don't know if you guys have ever met Mac, Mike McIntyre, but he's a bit of a dud. You know, he's not exactly going to get the fan base riled up. He's not going to, in you know, essentially a pro market in that Denver area. He's not going to, you know, stand out in any way. And I think they want someone who has a little bit of, a uh, little bit of zing to them. So, uh, I put on the top of my list Matt Wells at Utah State. They lead the nation in offense. They're having a dynamic season. Um, Wells has been good there for a while. They actually had a dip where they were bad and has kind of brought them back. Uh, he's turned through staff, which you're probably going to do at Colorado because it has that Kansas affliction where if they have anyone decent, they're going to uh, they're going to bounce. And so I would put him up high. Some other names, Brian Harson at Boise. Obviously, very interestingly, or at least interesting to me and Pat Dan, probably not to you, Boise plays Utah State this weekend. So, But that, that job will be a huge storyline looming over that game. A sort of why? Why would I not like a Boise Utah State game? I'm fired up for it. <laughs> I think go. Pat would like it more. <laughs> <laughs> I love watching Boise football. It will. Well, what what side of the Mountain I, West insulted. does it determine? <laughs> I could care less about that. <laughs> <laughs> the good side. That's what side yeah, it does. That the is that is right. I watch a lot of Boise games. Boise is always on right when my buzz is is at its peak and then starting to. <laughs> Okay, so it's always I've been a longtime Boise fan for that reason. Yeah, um, you know one name that a lateralish move that would be interesting is Dana Holgerson. So obviously had a great season at West Virginia despite their uh, hiccup in Stillwater on Saturday night. He's the kind of that Boulder's kind of place where Holgerson could work. I, I thought that was an interesting quirky name. Some others: Mike Norvell, Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs' OC, who obviously is a great Colorado running back. Uh, Let me ask this: Would Holgerson frequent? The legal pot shops of Colorado. <laughs> Thoughts on that, Pat? Well, let Colorado native Pat Forty take that. Yeah, he might open one. <laughs> I mean, that would be that. Just seems like wheelhouse Holgo right there. I, I mean, I don't know. Do you know anything? I don't know. Hey, that's that's you give uh, give Holgo the Red Bull and the edibles and look out. <laughs> <laughs> that's a recruiter right there. <laughs> Uh, come on, come for an unofficial visit. Uh, I made some brownies for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, baby. That's on. All right.
I, lo- I right. want that to happen. I, I need some Holgo in Boulder. All right. That works for me. I'll take that higher. Okay. Um, before we get the small sample Heisman, I think we have a contender for the actual Heisman. Or the even more prestigious Yahoo Sports College Podcast Man of the Year Award, which I believe we just invented. <laughs> but this is a contender. And it's a Harvard man. Sophomore running back Devin Darrington in the big game or the game, whatever they call it, against Yale. He was racing towards a fourth quarter touchdown. He was pursued by Yale's Rodney Thomas. And that's when Darrington decided to flip Thomas the bird. Middle finger extended en route to a six. Never seen it before in football. Seen taunting. Never seen the middle finger. Now, of course, it got called back because of sportsmanship or something. I think they should have awarded extra points. Uh, Harvard still won. Darrington had two more TDs. I bet this was so worth it. Now, I don't know if Thomas from Yale did anything prior. Maybe he mocked Darrington about his understanding of Socratic irony. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who knows? Could be anything, really. But in general, I don't think it's a bad thing when Yale guys get flipped off every once in a while. Just on principle. Even in case the messenger is not exactly ideal and it's a Harvard guy because they deserve to get flipped off every once in a while, too. But whatever. Pat, your thoughts on Devin? Uh, He's absolutely the podcast man of the year. Uh... No, 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 no. We're not just giving him the award candidate oh no i'm giving it to him there's still he that gets my vote my vote is in all right i voted early what about the pit assistant coach who's yet to go home because his <laughs> wife so we don't do any chores i mean that's we have all right there's a lot of content i'm not giving this award away but go okay. ahead that's i will say this now that we uh, i i am advocating for a podcast award show that would be much better than the espn <laughs> award show at the end of the season here oh way better we'll that see about that terrible. but devin darrington absolutely is my man of the year we will we'll have a three-man a tribunal vote on it but <laughs> look here's what it boils down to and this is why this is so great every rivalry is basically you want to give the finger to your rival. You know, that's what it all boils down to. And now we get to see even at Harvard and Yale, even in the Ivy League, it's the same as the Egg Bowl. It's the same as the Iron Bowl. It's the same as Ohio State, Michigan. You all just want to give the finger to your rival. And De- Devin Darrington did it. And I just thought it was hysterical. I thought it was awesome. <laughs> and uh, Harvard and Yale now is more relevant than it has been since, I don't know, the 1800s, I believe, when those two would like win national <laughs> bogus national titles because nobody east of the Alleghenies or west of the Alleghenies even played football. Pete? Yeah, you know, I've had the uh, misfortune of having to attend some Ivy League football games over the years. When I worked (laughs) at the New York Times, they would occasionally uh, dispatch me out for some of their hoity-toitery pinkies out football. And let me tell you something. If you've ever gone to an Ivy League football game, it is like football underwater. It is terrible, terrible football. So (laughs) Devin deserves deserves the recognition we're giving him right now because he actually made Ivy League football interesting, and that's very hard to do. I always laugh like there's like a Friday night Ivy game on one of those like bandit cable channels like NBC Sportsnet or something like that, and I'm like the TV executive who decided he could make Ivy League football interesting, I give him no credit for because I it is it is just 
dreadful. It is at a dreadful level of competition. We do have times when they flip off the the, the fans, but the idea that you just as you're going in, just throw it up there. And I, I will say, Harvard and Yale kind of invented the rivalry. So they yeah, did. It's just they a, did. it's a rebirth. But, it's a it's a long rebirth. Like it's been dormant, <laughs> but it's a rebirth. But that's the thing, you know what? That's it's it's in action. While he before he has reached the end zone, he's doing it. I mean, that's beautiful. That's I thought a it was quick great. thinker. Obviously, a Harvard man. The flip six or something we could call it. I don't know. <laughs> I like it. I that's like good. It. That's yep. good. I like how the coach wrote him. He didn't bench him or anything. He just said, "Ah, we're going with our horse." <laughs> hey, hell no, we're gonna win. Yeah, we're gonna win. All right. Every week we do we do give out a Heisman. Uh, small sample. If the Heisman was a one week award, Pete, we'll start with you. Who would have won the Heisman this week? Well, Dan, uh, my small sample Heisman winner is someone who I know you're intricately familiar with from watching all your obscure football games that you love. Uh, I do m- want to nominate Pat's cat, who's climbing back in our uh, Skype screen yeah, for the uh, small sample Heisman. But if if or not, what's your cat's name, Pat? Uh, this one is Midnight. Midnight. Yeah, there's two others, but uh, yeah, he's uh, he's relentless. Let me tell you, if Ed Oliver had his motor. Ed would be better. <laughs> so uh, midnight also came for Dante Smith, the Citadel right. fullback, who was uh, my small sample size Heisman winner. Uh, the Citadel was tied 10-10 with Bam at the half on Saturday. Dante ends up nine rushes, 130 yards, two touchdowns against the Tide, including a 45-yard run. I give Dante all the credit in the world. That's the most interesting halftime score of the year by far and away. Citadel's a triple option team and uh, made us all pay attention for a little while. Pat, who won the Heisman this week? Uh, Anthony McFarland, who did his best for Maryland, freshman running back to knock Ohio State out of the playoff, even in victory, made Ohio State's defense look so bad, nobody wants to see that defense in the playoff. McFarland, 21 carries, 298 yards, scored two long touchdowns in the first half. He was over 200 in the first half. It was ridiculous. Uh, he had never gotten the ball more than 16 times in a game till the last two. They've given it to him 50 times the last two games. He's run for more than 500 yards. Maryland, give this guy the ball. Anthony McFarland, small sample Heisman. All right, I'm giving the Heisman to Gardner Minshew of Washington State. Uh, 69-28 route of Arizona. This was a statement to the playoff committee. Pay attention to us. It was also a treat for everyone who was hanging out late at a bar on Saturday night. Uh, or so I've been told, right? Uh, Minshew went 43 of 55, 473 yards, and seven touchdowns. Holy Timmy Chang from Hawaii type line. <laughs> Remember that guy? Oh, what yeah. a legend. He was the late night legend. I'm more of a Colt Brennan guy, but you can have Timmy Chang. Colt Brennan was, was Timmy Chang part two, man. But Colt Brennan did his thing. Uh, anyway, not a bad line. So Wazoo still in the playoff hunt, kind of. They get Washington Saturday in the Apple Cup. It'll be huge. Uh, all right, we've said many mean things today, as always. Pat, can you please say something nice? Uh, if forced, I'll try. But uh, yeah, I my my nice thing I'm gonna say is about Army football. We're watching games. I was at this swim meet with a bunch of Stanford parents, and on Saturday afternoon, we had time in between sessions to watch uh, a little college football. Everybody's watching Ohio State and Maryland. Uh, there's you know a bunch of other games on, and Chris Zeckley 
Army Ranger, 101st Division, uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, is there. His daughter, his sister, swims for Stanford, and he said, hey, can I get Army Colgate on? And they got <laughs> it on. Wow. And, yes, and the cadets won to go to 9-2, and two, and they actually may get in the rankings. That's the, what the Army people are dreaming of being ranked for the first time since 1996. Beat Colgate 28-14. to 14. Rank the cadets, AP poll, USA Today poll, college football playoff poll. Somebody rank the cadets. Yeah, or have them rise up and shoot you. <laughs> there is that. They are, they are heavily armed. Heavily armed. Uh, Pete, say something nice. I will say something nice about Notre Dame. I was at uh, Yankee Stadium for their game with Syracuse on Saturday, and I left that game watching the Fighting Irish with the distinct impression that if they play Clemson as expected, by the way, the 40 theory of relativity is happening this year. I, I teased him all season yeah, saying, somebody's yeah. going to lose. Somebody's going to lose. And he barked at me all year saying, no one's going to lose. Who's going to lose? What are they going to lose? Well, looks like nobody's going to lose. There so, you go. Um, yes, with the 40 theory of relativity playing out, Clemson is going to play Notre Dame, likely in a 2-3 game, which we're assuming is going to be at the uh, Orange Bowl. And I really think Notre Dame can give Clemson a handful. I, I really think that their strengths can – obviously, Clemson's greatest strength is that defensive line. And Notre Dame's tempo and the way they run their offense can negate some of that. And I really feel like that – Notre Dame's been, again, Notre Dame underrated, right? But I really feel like Notre Dame should be in the little bit of a higher echelon conversation that we've given them credit for. Seeing them live, seeing what their defensive line did and the pressure they put. They obviously knocked Eric Dungy, Syracuse quarterback, out of the game uh, on Saturday. I was impressed with the Irish soup to nuts. Good stuff. They look good. Uh, still one more week. A lot of enthusiasm go. there, Dan. Thanks. <laughs> one more week to go. They do. They look awesome. Yep. I don't know. I was I was stunned. I thought that'd be a game a little bit. That was a massacre. Um, I'm going to say something nice about Michigan State's punters. <laughs> Saturday, the Spartans lost 9-6 to Nebraska. Uh, the result, the weather in Lincoln and the Spartan offense, I think is the definition of miserable. Young man named William Priztup punted seven times. He started the year as the third string punter. And I think Mark D'Antonio's offense has just worn out the first two. <laughs> they are hobbling around campus. Their feet hurt. MSU has punted 15 times in the last two weeks alone. They average 6.4 punts a game for the year. Only Florida State, I believe. I did some analysis of this, but not much. Is worse among Power 5 teams who can buy games they will win and not have to punt. <laughs> uh, Big Ten play alone, they have punted 84 times, 8.4 a game. Uh, Spartans are averaging 15.1 points a game since October. This They have injuries, but this team is absolutely unwatchable. It is a major disappointment for a coach the caliber of Mark D'Antonio. I mean, there are worse teams, but not by a guy with his crack track record. Uh, Spartans play Rutgers Saturday. Uh, possible off day for the punters. <laughs> but anyone who shows up to watch this thing in East Lansing <laughs> should automatically get a discount on next year's season tickets <laughs> and a free checkup with the MSU Mental Health Clinic. 
D'Antonio needs to get an offensive staff, or this is trending into the abyss, and he's too good of a coach for that. Attention recruits, though. If you're Hunter, you will get a lot of touches, a lot of touches on that. Do you think, Dan, like during practice, you know, most coaches stick around like the offense or the defense. D'Antonio just goes to the far field and watches punts all practice? Just watch punts. He gets excited <laughs> about the punts. You know that. How does the third string guy elevate that quick? That's <laughs> There's a story I don't know there. what happened. I was looking at the stats, and it's like middle Ohio State. He took over as the punter. Mm-hmm. They just they just punt and everything. I'm with you. They they, they was exhausted the first two man. They're just tired. They're hurt. Dead They're leg. Hurt. Dead leg. Dead leg. Dead leg. The punters. Mm-hmm. Poor kids. All right. Before we get out of here, we want to give listeners a chance to be part of the show. Why the heck you'd want to be part of this thing? I don't know. <laughs> but we are going to start reading our favorite listener reviews. If we read your review on the podcast, we will send you some Yahoo Sports swag. Wow. We've got things like t-shirts, hats, and koozies. I've worked here a long time. I don't have any koozie. What, I, <laughs> what the heck? I have a backpack, and that's it. I got no other swag. I got nothing. Nothing. I want the koozie. Uh, all right. Also, an Amazon gift card. I mean, this is a pretty good giveaway we got here. Uh, To leave a review, search for the Yahoo Sports College Podcast in the Apple Podcast app and click on Write a Review. It's that simple. Give us a five-star review while you're at it. That should be a prerequisite. You either give us the five-star or you're out of whatever this contest is. (laughs) So deal with it. You want a koozie? You want a t-shirt? Five stars, baby. Suck up. You got to suck up to get the stuff. Today's winning review. We already got a winner. Oh, wow. Comes from user, quote, Last hope of the Cunninghams. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sounds like someone who would like this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he did give us five stars or she or whoever this is. Here is the review. Oh, I'm liking this one. Oh, this is when we were trying to get to the, the rank up the rankings of the podcast, which I, we cracked the top hundred now. Yeah. Oh, wow. According to we're moving, man. Lindsay. We're yeah. moving. Okay. Here's the quote. They are only trying to get to 188. Let's make this happen. <laughs> Let's go, Coach Wetzel, and crush Swim Swam 32-0. <laughs> Love it. Pat, noted Swim Swam reader. <laughs> How about a Swim Swam reference? That was multiple references. Good job, Last Hope of the Cunningham. Really good. Uh, oh, wait, here's this. You might want to know. We're sitting at 98 now. 94. I'm sorry, 94. 94. Um, wow. All right, so last hope of the Cunninghams. To claim your prize, send your info to podcasts at yahoosports.com. I have no idea what the authentication process of that is. So might be if you're not last hope of the Cunninghams and you want to try to steal a, <laughs> a koozie. Yeah, go for it. Eh, no, I'm only kidding. Don't do that. All right, also, now this is good. I'm excited about this one. Not that I'm not excited about the free koozies, but I'm really excited about this. The Yahoo Sports College podcast is hitting the road. Seriously, and we want you to join us. They're taking us on the road. Myself, Pat, and Pete will be hosting a live edition of the show during National Championship Weekend in downtown San Jose. They could come to regret that, and we're very near the headquarters at Sunnyvale, so we could get fired very quickly. So this is this is just perilous. Uh, the live show will be held Friday, January fourth, in downtown San Jose, which is Fan Central. For National Championship Weekend, Uh, the live show is free to attend. We'll have prizes and giveaways. And you'll get to see your favorite podcast host live in person for our National Championship Preview Show. Plus, we're going to have a listener Q&A session after the podcast. 
I mean, what is better than that? Uh, we will give the detail of the currently secret location later, but uh, space is limited. Uh, so, I love that space is limited. It's limited anywhere. You can have it at the Rose Bowl. Space is limited for that. We will probably not get 100,000, maybe 20, 25,000. Uh, no, space is limited for the event, uh, so make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss the upcoming announcements with details on how to reserve your spot. And I'm just going to make one little one little hint here that might surprise you all. Drinking is going to be involved in this live show, so, so we're going to do that for sure. Uh, I don't care where it's held. Uh, all right, that's it. That's our podcast. We'll uh, be back. A huge weekend next week. We're going to have a lot of fun before Thanksgiving. Also, race for the case later. Uh, this is when it really is good to be a college football fan, and we appreciate all of you who have uh, let us be part of your journey through the season. It's always at least entertaining. Not the most exciting race for the title so far, but it's been fun, and we've had fun with you. So keep listening. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Help us out. Uh, talk to you guys later. <laughs>